0: Nine nine.
1: Wow! It's been six years, and we're finally going to do a deep dive into all the hard work we've done on the show, Joe.
0: Stephanie, I am so excited. We're going to talk about all the downtime on set, uh, what parking is like on the lot, and oh, we're going to we're going to blow your mind with the amount of start paperwork we have to do.
1: Uh, yeah. Or we are going to talk about other things like behind the scenes stuff, production details, and the writing. Right. That's what I said. Yeah, but I think people want to hear about more exciting stuff than the parking.
0: Uh, guess you don't have any good parking stories, do
1: you? All right. You know what? How about we just start the show? You got it. Nine-nine. Nine-nine.
2: Welcome to Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the podcast. I'm Mark Evan Jackson. I play Kevin. Today on the podcast, we'll be discussing the second season of the series with a focus on filming the squad as an ensemble and what that means for production, building the relationships within the squad of the 9-9 and a special focus into one of the most iconic relationships in Brooklyn 9-9 history, that of Hitchcock and Scully. Like last time, we will also dive into a specific episode that displays these themes with episode 12 from season 2, The Beach House, where the squad goes on a relaxing vacation to a beach house, and Jake takes it upon himself to invite Holt, who reveals that he was always excluded from these kind of outings when he was a detective in the NYPD. With us to discuss that episode and more, we have co-writer of the episode and co-executive producer David Phillips, first assistant director Tony Nahar, as well as Dirk Blocker, who plays Hitchcock, and Joel McKinnon Miller, who plays Scully. Joel, Dirk, Tony, and David. Nine nine. nine, 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 nine. I almost went with "Hey, baby," uh, but, <laughs> but following tradition, decided to go with nine, nine. Um, it's fun to look back at season two. It, uh, it's it's fun to to realize all the all the story, all the
3: relationship, all the
2: life that's happened, right?
3: Mm. Oh yeah, I watched uh, Beast Beach House last night because. Mm-hmm. So that was, uh, it was interesting. I hadn't seen it since it aired, so that was six years ago? It's some time yeah. ago. I'm like, it's, I, it's crazy yeah. how long
4: ago it was. I had the same experience rewatching it and being like, oh yeah, yeah, I remember. These things that seemed such a given in terms of everyone's relationships were just being discovered.
5: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I, I, when I watched it last night as well, uh, I had the sense that wow, everybody was still kind of finding their way a little bit. I mean, everything was there. Sure. But it hadn't been totally fleshed out yet, it didn't seem to me. At least the one person who I did think was rather fleshed out was uh, was uh, Andre. It was uh, Holt. Mm-hmm. He seemed solid from yeah. the get-go. Every- I think
2: Andre Brower has a bright future as an actor. <laughs> yeah. I think, I, think I think with a little bit of a massage, I think there's something there. <laughs> I think yeah. that, yeah. <laughs> um. It's fun to look back at these. It's fun to see a time before Jake and Amy were Jake and Amy. Um, that seems like such a given now. You know, the, that relationship has, uh, it simmered and simmered and simmered and, uh, and was so uh, lovingly and lovelily uh, wrapped up and, and a proposal and a wedding. And, um, you know, it's fun to look back and see that time before it. Um, let's talk about the ensemble scenes. This show does this very well. You've got a fairly sizable cast. I mean, the core cast is larger than most of most series, right?
4: Hmm. Um. Yeah. I. I mean, obviously, our AD Tony will has to deal with that the most in terms of <laughs> how many people to fit in a scene at all times. I remember start. I started on season two, so coming into writing for sitcoms. I had such a fond memory specifically for Hangout episodes where everyone in the cast is together. Wow. I've never heard that term,
2: Hangout episode. Or just
4: like a feeling of like, oh, this whole story includes everyone. And I had no reference for how those things are shot. Yeah. And to ever even think when you're splitting scenes up that they're just separated. So I was so excited to like get to be a like, I was like, yes, Beach House. This is going to be so much fun. And then getting on set and being like, oh, my God, it's so hard. I had no idea (laughs) that it's so manufactured in the production of it. That everyone feels like they're hanging out because you're having to pick up things in such pieces. And when you're watching it, like from me being the f- like almost a first timer on set being like, oh, no, does it not feel at all? Like it just gets magically created in everyone's performance and in the shooting.
6: Yeah. When you have nine people in a scene, there <laughs> is so much
2: coverage that is needed. Describe coverage. Uh, You shoot with three cameras, unlike a a traditional four-camera sitcom like Cheers or Friends, which is basically filmed theater, right? Like it's on a stage, almost Mm -hmm. like a proscenium stage. Um, This is different. You're in a practical location, a room generally that has four actual walls, but you're in there with three three separate camera crews, all shooting at the same time.
6: Yeah, ideally we will cross-shoot. Uh, Scenes Because Mm -hmm. of comedy, you know, every take's a little bit different. Every take, we want to be different, Mm -hmm. you know, levels. So it affects the performance on both ends. So you want to capture that as it's happening. Simultaneously, yes. So we try to cross-shoot as much as possible. But yes, when you get into a practical beach house location where it's four four walls, it can be a little bit complicated, you know, shooting one direction at a time and then... Uh, cross-coverage looks to one another. I mean, there's so many layers uh, back and forth trying to get every line, good eyes on each character. With nine people in a scene, they're all looking in multiple directions.
4: Define good
2: eyes. What
4: does that mean? (laughs) That is both eyes uh, in uh, in camera. Are we we more strict than other shows you've been on in terms of needing eyes? Yes. Because sometimes I'm like, I don't think that... You always see someone's face sometimes when they're living lines in shows, but mm-hmm. I think we're like so specific okay. to it. I wonder if it came out of post or if it was just always from the very beginning.
6: Uh, it did evolve okay. from post, um, and also we're a hybrid of you know like Parks and Rec, which was you know a documentary style, also cross shooting. Meaning
2: that the that the the characters, the act, uh, I'm sorry, the characters within that were sort of aware of the camera, like a uh, uh, documentary crew yes. had been quietly hired to be a fly on the wall, don't, you know, ignore us or whatever. But, like, you'd see them bump into the camera, you'd see them, like, go, like, look in the straight down the yeah. lens and go, that was weird. That doesn't yeah. happen on Brooklyn.
6: No, we approach it uh, single-camera style, but mm-hmm. also cross-covering, uh, the, the you know, uh, the scenes, mm-hmm. documentary style, but with the uh,
2: principles of single camera and you'll you'll uh, zoom in on stuff you'll punch like yes. if you want to punctuate a moment or whatever to emphasize yes yeah and for comedy right like you'll and, zoom out mm-hmm. and reveal that somebody was in the room yes. the whole time that we didn't realize was there kind of thing yeah. it's a fun game and and uh this cast and crew exploit it so well um you do yourself like you set yourselves up for difficulty because whether we're in the briefing room or in the bullpen um there are lots of Lots of characters. I mean, background for sure. Like almost every scene in the bullpen or the briefing room has tons of background. For the for the record, I play on the Brooklyn Nine Nine softball team, and two thirds of it is made of background actors who play uniformed and detectives in the in the squad room.
6: Yeah, thirty five people and ninety. Is that a real number? Of, yeah, and holy Ninety cow. percent of them have been here for all seven seasons. Thirty five people. Yeah. That's crazy. And who's the best
2: player on the softball team? I am. What do you mean? Of course. <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> yeah. Um, there are a lot of characters, and it's fun in these scenes, and I would guess it's fun for you guys uh, to get a table read script the night before or whatever and see that you have one line and it's a killer. Like, you guys are such snipers in this show. Like, you know, volume-wise, maybe not paragraphs and paragraphs, but, I mean, one shot, one
3: kill. <laughs> right? Well, we were, uh, Dirk has a great analogy. It's kind of like we're on a baseball team and we're the utility players and they need us to come in and get on base or mm-hmm. actually most of the time they want us to hit a freaking home run So, with whatever joke it is. So sure. we have to lay it out there. And, and it's also uh, quite difficult because you're not a part of what's maybe happening mm-hmm. and you are asked to just come in and chime in something so it to to be a part of that timing and to it's it's not as, as easy as it looks it's a I'm challenge
5: sure. yeah it's a challenge because it's rare for us to have like a beginning a middle and an end right to what we're thinking and describing we're talking about <laughs> or what have you we just say something and it's usually something so odd <laughs> <laughs> that uh, that you know but but what a joy you know when you when you land it and it when it works yeah, yeah it's just a blast
4: I mean, they. Another baseball metaphor, potentially a grand slam. I know we're just staying on the baseball theme
2: now, it seems like. Right. Um, It's. It's pretty incredible what you're able to accomplish, and I can appreciate that. You know, oftentimes it's probably one of the later things shot, uh, the insert of you know. Uh, and I, I would guess that, as you say, you you don't really have full context for stuff like why did I have this full jar of mustard to spill on myself? You know, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yes. Kind of yes
5: right. Right. Yeah. You. I, I. think it's maybe a mistake to try to kind of un- go down the thread of of, of like of logic. Oh, sure. Quite often. Just go. Just, just do it. Atlanta. Just just do it. Just, <laughs> just go for be it. Be open to it and have fun. You know? yeah. And it's not
6: easy for you guys to inject that comedic beat at the right time, and you guys do it really well timing wise. Oh, thank you. you. Know. Thank yeah.
2: you. Time after time. time after Yeah.
6: It's always, you know, a big moment in a scene that comes out of nowhere and you guys nail
4: it. Yeah, the most um, extreme version of it to me, which is like was a perfect encapsulation of how impossible we do things is I think it was season three or four when you guys somehow started a fire in a sink and it was totally separate from the scene it was in like i think it was the nine eight and it's like there everyone else is talking about something and someone has to be like Oh no! Scully and Hitchcock just started a fire, and it was like you had to like pan to it. There had to be a fire at the perfect time, and you guys had to be reacting. I was like, "This, this is a practical insane. fire, real fire." Yeah. There, there was, was a practical exactly. fire. Real fire. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There yeah. was a fire. Yeah. So
3: yeah. danger, like, yes. And it had to be timed perfectly. So crazy,
6: and they did it. Yeah. yeah.
5: Quite often, it feels to Joel and I. I think I can speak for both of us. It feels like we're we're in our movie, and there's Brooklyn Nine <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I hear you
2: declaring a spin-off. Is that what you just done? Is that, did I read that right? I mean hey I, I think it's a great idea. Yeah. I'm sure Dirk and Joel are behind it. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. The <laughs> campaign. The ensemble scenes uh, fulfill a purpose. Um, they especially early on after a cold open for instance like it gets at the premise of the episode right like often whether it's a crime or a relationship game or something. Um, there are certainly jokes throughout but it, it it accomplishes. It serves several purposes right. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
4: I mean, that was particularly hard for Beach House because we really did start like three stories and trying to realize, oh, you can't, you, what, how are you, like, how are you going to start the Amy Gina thing, the runner about Six Drink Amy? And similarly, when do we start Hitchcock and Scully's weird casino boat scheme? Weird. The, <laughs> what do you mean weird? <laughs> I mean, <Right>. brilliant. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, it's still probably sunken and maybe season eight, we'll find out what happened to it. <laughs> But um, yeah, that whole thing going into it, my naivety in terms of writing a full ensemble thing and then realizing, oh, we have to parse this out and make it all layered properly to make it in a fun, easy, digestible way. So, you know, in a weird way, as much as it's an ensemble, you still have to like break them down to their parts of the A story still mostly being the Holt Jake thing the, that affects the squad and check in on those other stories when they're happening in the ensemble when possible.
5: Yeah, and Speaking it's of layers, um, the writers do just a remarkable job on this show um, because of what David's just saying. But um, on top of that, when you think you kind of know where the story's going quite often, they'll hit you with something moving, yeah, you know, and sweet. Right. And uh, I've quite often been just, I'm just amazed by what these guys do.
2: We've talked about it a little bit on the show already, and it's about balance, I feel like. It's about earning those sweet moments and not just tacking them on later, you know? Yeah, yeah. And this show does it really nicely. Uh, Tony, uh, something's coming to mind. Do you ever get a script that is what David's describing where, like, like on the page, it's super funny, and you're like, there's no way we can shoot this in five days? Always. <laughs> really? Is that true? Is that true?
6: Uh, specifically this season, yeah. I, I, no. I mean, we, we always work it out. Right. And, uh there are times when you do get a script and you realize, all right, we we know we are going to shoot all of these scenes on location and there's no way we could do it in the one day that we only have to shoot at this location. At so we, you know, in our meetings will, you know, uh, cater it to a one day location scene without compromising the integrity of the story yeah. we want to tell, so... You know, we always find a balance.
2: You don't ever go, please send us a different script. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I'm in very gentle words. Yes, yeah, sometimes. I mean, I would think, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not a different script. I think sometimes it's very easy stuff of like, you put this in a machine factory and this in a hospital room. Is there a way that it doesn't have to be in a machine factory? Sure. And then yeah. a, also a chase scene where it goes from a machine factory to a, a rock climbing wall or something. It's right. Like, well, yeah, you're right. I guess yeah, we, we, could, could think we could simplify that simplifying this <laughs> yeah since nothing of it matters and we're not actually writing to it and bringing it down to the base parts of where we're putting it. I'm always surprised uh, there was something this season that would be a spoiler. I guess if I said it, but from the premiere we can talk about it if it's a spoiler or not, but the quad and the plaza that was essentially written in, in this, you know, it's a sniper manhunt situation. Mm-hmm. And, it's a location that we that we wrote in a dream scenario in sure. a way that I just was like, wait, we just wrote that this is a huge thing in a plaza. How are you going to see all this? This could just not exist, and they found it and made it made it work in a way that I was shocked by on yeah. every level, from locations to the set design, from like how the how all the how it really. Pieced out. Yeah, um, uh, Brooklyn five block.
2: Radius, yeah, you're like this is L.A. Police lockdown. <laughs> right, and we did it. Yeah. Did you shoot it in Los and Angeles? We did.
4: Wow, Hollywood's um, alive. Spoiler for Seven Hundred One, maybe. <laughs> mm-hmm. or yeah, maybe cut it out. I don't know.
2: Let's talk a little bit about uh, the Beach House. It's season two, episode twelve, directed by Tim Kirkby. Uh, the cold open is the one where uh, Jake sees. Gina leaving Holt's office with an <laughs> opaque bag in you know, a mm-hmm. sort of a, a suspicious and guilty way. Um, and he solves the crime right away that Holt's not, <laughs> Holt's wearing. not wearing pants. <laughs> <laughs> He's what? He spilled soup? Spilled
3: yeah. soup. Spilled. Spilled. Yeah. Yeah.
4: A Dan Gore special, I remember when he pitched it, and I was like,
2: yep, let's do it. (laughs) That's funny. What in your mind is a Dan Gore special?
4: Well, I just was like, I think to me a Dan Gore special, I shouldn't say that so flippantly because I don't really know what that means, but now I have to figure it out. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, Backwards uh, logic (laughs) is when we've banged our heads against the wall on a lot of ideas uh, for cold opens. And then something like that is said and we're like, yeah, let's do that. And that will be funny when you're like kind of in a desperate way, not, not having figured out a a cold open, which those are always a conundrum because they're just comedy premises. And sometimes they come out of such easy ideas. And sometimes we're spending way too long just because you're in your head about what can be as funny and deserves to be a cold open. Mm -hmm. Um, But that was early enough on that I, I don't think we are quite killing ourselves yet with cold open ideas, but that, that was a relief to have. Then it just became, how what, what's the structure of it? How do you end it? What's the joke at the end kind of thing?
3: Well, it was such a simple premise, yeah. and it was so funny. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, I loved it.
2: Fun to see uh, Andy spill soup on himself as yeah, well. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> how yeah. many takes does a thing like that get? Like, you don't want to redress <laughs> him 40 times. With Andy one. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. yeah. He likes to get it in yeah. one, right? Yes. Yeah, he yes. likes to mm-hmm. nail it, move on. Exactly. That makes sense yes. to me. I get it. Yeah. The detectives are getting away for their detectives-only getaway. Uh, Boyle wants a, a, a cool name, an acronym for it. Uh, the detectives-only getaway becomes dog. It's dog party 15. They're doing it. Um, it was and sort then... <laughs> of fun to think about Boyle having a beach house, and then yeah. you realize it's the product of a divorce, I guess, right? Yeah. Yes.
4: Yeah. Behind the scenes... The whole episode was going to be about a a Boyle story, actually, at one point. Really? There was going to be a huge—I don't know in in lieu of which story we went with, but it was very heavily weighted towards Boyle's divorce and getting over his ex-wife because— and we just left these little remnants of jokes that seemed to work on their own, thankfully, but there were a lot of the idea—I think the core idea was going to be he has this terrible deal in the divorce that he has only three months. He yeah, says the worst split. worst three months. He no, was so like, we so split the it winter, in the divorce. I got weird. December yeah. through February. <laughs> yeah. Winter months, only three months of the 12. It's like a very <laughs> I mean, slight Coast, joke, but yeah. it's crazy. <laughs> and that was actually the premise initially was going to be like, he's then like cleaning up after everything and he had to like learn how to, and she was like spying on him at some point. Look, this is all a, a story that didn't work. Sure. But <laughs> it was interesting to realize like, oh, sorry, yeah, some hasn't of worked yet. Hasn't worked yet. Right. But there <laughs> We, it was weird watching it and remembering that because I was like, oh, some of the still funny jokes in it like remained yeah. in a way that, like you said, like add like a, a little bit of a depth I, to that.
2: I think that Charles Boyle is a good example of being beta is a state of mind. Yes. Like he's happy with this arrangement. <laughs> yes. oh, yeah. like, exactly. He doesn't think that he got short shrift in this. Like he's he's like winter winter beach he loves it and man. then the, the
4: joke a little later where he's like when mommy's away we we'll yeah. oh. you call your ex-wife mommy yeah. and he said not consciously right. that always made me laugh so hard oh, perfect great.
2: delivery uh when they're still in the briefing room, Hitchcock and Scully have been curiously quiet, which is rare for them. And they just didn't want to say anything that might get them disinvited. Yeah. Right, well, yeah.
5: We weren't even sure at first that we were going to be invited at all. Yeah. And then when we thought that was happening, it was like, shut up.
2: Uh, Gina lays out uh, what she's hoping to have happen during this episode. Uh, she plants the flag in seeing 6 Amy, um, and then we see all the shades of Amy. One drink is Spacey. Two is Loud Amy. Three is Amy Dance Pants. Four, four drink Amy is a bit of a pervert. Uh, five drink Amy is weirdly confident, um, and maybe just maybe we'll see 6 drink Amy. This is where I made the note that it was sort of weird to see Jake and Amy uh, before they were Jake and Amy. Like mm-hmm. you see them, you know, interacting. Um, it's impossible not to see a spark, knowing what we now know and who we know them to be. Uh, Captain Holt was excluded back in his days. Like he understands that these guys want to go and the use of the word joshing around in this. And then, you know, yeah. you want to josh. You want to be josh, You want to be joshing around. Um, and he's excluded by the other detectives. Um, and then we find ourselves in Chateau, Chateau Boyal. We find ourselves at the beach house. In true Hollywood magic, I would guess that the exterior shot we see of an East Coast beach house um, was not where you were. Correct.
7: <laughs> um, were you at a beach house at all? We yes. were at a beach house. Okay.
2: Um, were the rooms of the beach house all continuous, or was the basement different than the hot tub different than the living room? The Mark, you're getting to it right Yeah, the, the
6: downstairs fun party was on stage in Studio City. Yes. The Holt party in the living room, uh, the bedroom that Charles and Rosa go to, and the hot tub, and the beach, that was all in Malibu.
2: Malibu? Yes. In one single house? One single house, yes. Interesting. So, Hollywood is a lie. Yes. We've been lied to. Um, we are all perpetrating that lie. Mm-hmm. We're all <laughs> complicit. Um, how many days were you in Malibu? Surprisingly,
6: only two. Is that right? Yes. That's And we remarkable. began the first day in Zuma Beach, very far from metropolitan L.A. With It's that pretty wa- far up the PCH. With the walk on the beach. That was the first thing we shot in that sequence, and... Uh, Everyone was late. Zuma Beach is very far. I think we had a seven AM call that day, and we got our first shot at like ten thirty AM. Oh, that's late. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's later than than
6: yes. desired. Between towers six and seven on Zuma Beach. Oh wow!
3: Okay, interested. Love it. Yeah, you I can love to go it visit. Easy. Yeah, it was it pretty warm. I can't remember. Oh, but it was but hot. I remember we had to wear. When oh, you were bundling and yeah. beanies yes. in the middle of summer. It, it you were just yeah.
6: as miserable walking on the beach, <laughs> yes. being warm and hot, as right. your characters were being freezing, freezing on the beach. Yeah, yeah. 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 Good acting, though. Amazing. The difference between being hot and cold. Yes. I
4: mean, this is the stuff that you want to hear about on Inside the Actor's Studio. Of and course. How do you, Wait, is that what this when is? When you're hot, how do you pretend to be
2: cold? How do you act cold? <laughs> uh, we see Terry. He's prepared. He's got a fanny pack. It's got... I mean it's it's a little bit uh Mary Poppins hat or whatever right like has yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's everything, everything, everything in there yeah. he's got the cognac yeah straight out of the gate amy takes two shots like yes we are destined for for trouble <laughs> um and then it's revealed that uh that Peralta you know was uh feeling sympathetic he he felt bad um and he brought the boss to the non-boss party um i thought one thing was interesting uh uh, Joel in this um, Scully was drinking White wine Which just struck me As like yeah.
3: What? Well you know He he, Scully is like uh, The quintessential uh, Renaissance man You know He <laughs> Speaks French Sings opera mm-hmm. You know uh, Morse code You know <laughs> Probably multiple is... Martial arts Yeah Probably Yeah so, so you're the Blanc. Swiss
4: army knife of the relationship. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And I guess, does that make Hitchcock just like a steak knife of There's some a, sort? Like kind of a butter knife. <laughs> <laughs> Lurking in the gutter.
5: <laughs> yeah. A little, a espad, shiv. A spatula, a shiv. Yeah, there you go. <laughs>
2: By and large, people are bummed that Holt's there because, uh, you know, they're not going to be able to relax. Rose's, you know, quietly dating Marcus. And now she has to do like the potential for small talk exists with her boss. Um, Terry's fine. When his slippers are filled, Terry is chilled. (laughs) Hitchcock and Scully get a little bit sinister here. They're like, oh, he's the big fish we need. (laughs) What is the scheme? It's
5: a... It's a sunken casino. Uh Sunken, sunken It was a a riverboat casino or a lake casino that had gone under. It's there, but it's
3: it's underwater. Yeah.
4: But it's there. And part of the pitch was, how much is it cost to raise a sunken casino? Oh, yeah. Hopefully less than how much you'll make. It's built. <laughs> like, it's it's like the, the pitch. The pitch says hopefully in it. Yeah. It's not even, they haven't even figured out a way to say you are going to make money. It's they have no really idea. really a bad pitch. Yeah. I think it's, like,
2: it's even tacked on, tacked on afterwards. I was like, uh, how much does it oh, yeah. cost to raise a to raise a sunken ship? Answer, um, less than it costs less oh, yeah, than the yeah. casino <laughs> makes in a year. Come hopefully, hopefully. hopefully. <laughs> they have done zero research on the subject.
4: They've done zero, zero funny. research. But I did. I mean, that was also the thing with the the you can't uninvite us now moment, which they had. Are you can, It was like a nice backwards moment of realizing this was their plan all along. Maybe they we, were like, we don't want to say anything together. to get us uninvited, and then they have this thing, and he's like, you're uninvited, and they're like. Too late. We we got here.
2: Our con worked. Um, Boyle is so weird. Um, the stuff <laughs> you you write for Joe to say, and this is a this is uh, just a sketch of it. But he said something texting with. Uh, you know a boyfriend is the most intimate thing you can do with your fingers other than washing their hair like <laughs> yeah he has no idea the creep that he would read to read as to the world right yes. so strange
4: <laughs> and you know what that was a sentimental moment rewatching it cuz it started a long running joke in which he talks about shampooing hair is the most intimate thing like multiple times now in the show I think that was maybe the
2: first instance
3: mm. yeah it comes up it comes up <laughs> yeah, a lot such a weird specific
2: he's going to help uh, throughout this episode he's going to help uh, Rosa who actually is interested in Marcus she's you know she doesn't want to mess it up she likes him she cares about it um, but isn't super good at expressing herself so he's going to do it he offers to write back with the words hey baby and <laughs> she says I don't say that he goes you do now <laughs> <laughs> it's great it's so great. The, uh, the party starts to immediately uh, be not as great as it might be. Um, they all reference uh, Dave from work, and uh, he looks like a butt. His face looks like a butt butt face. Dave. And, of course, Holt throws cold water on it immediately. He's like, I like David. He's a good cop. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, a gigantically fun moment uh, between Amy and Holt, but primarily Gina, uh, Hold offers a toast and G- he sees that Gina's not drinking and he inquires about it. Uh, I'm sorry. He sees that Amy's not drinking and uh, inquires about it and says, we're on vacation. Who's counting how many drinks you've had? And Gina sinisterly whispers, I ah, yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Gina, Chelsea was so funny. She that was hilarious. I remember that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> We had so many takes of her at the table doing those weird looks, and like, I, did we end up going with the tongue thing? Yeah, was, you did. oh yeah, it's you did. wild. It's right. Cool. It was oh, that's so right. Funny. She she like does like a weird, sexual, somewhat sexual, maybe somewhat. Sinister. Um, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah.
5: And every time I've seen that episode, including last night, I laugh out loud when uh, when Amy decides she maybe she's not going to drink, Mm-mm. you know, because Holt there, mm-hmm. and she says, "You're better than that." <laughs> and Falls back in her chair. I just it just makes me scream every yeah. time I see it.
4: She makes it about herself. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and also a very funny small Amy moment, which is to say, when Jake was like, "You're in love with the captain," and she goes, "I love him. I'm not in love with him." So sincerely.
2: Oh, I mean, <laughs> yes, right. like, well, I was, like, so falsely. Yeah, yeah, she exactly. isn't in love with him. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Yeah. She That's betrays awesome. herself in that. Yeah. Idea. <laughs> Uh, we've talked about the walk on the beach, which happens super bundled up in the summer. Um, the bracing, unexpected wind shooting on the beach presents problems. Was a lot of this ADR? ADR is automatic dialogue replacement, meaning that you have to record the sound, re-record the sound later because wind hits microphones and you hear it, right?
6: Yes. The wind between the wind and you know all of the clothes that they had, the rustling mm-hmm. of the jackets and the layers, yeah, scarves um, and
2: all that stuff. Yeah. So I would you can't tell because uh, everyone who works on this show is a straight expert, but I would guess that you had to re-record a lot of those lines later, right? Yes. I would think so. Same is probably true of the hot tub. Uh, Before we get to the hot tub, um, I wrote the the, note.
6: The bubbles were silent bubbles that special effects created. What are you talking about? Yes. And also a
4: production-friendly joke, which was having Holt say, turn off the bubbles. Right.
2: Yes. (laughs)
6: But I mean- At the end when he turns them on. Yeah. Yes. No soundless bubbles. Silent bubbles. How chemical? Maybe like a like a carbon. Uh, uh, just air, air, tube with air tubes. Folds in and it, yeah. Hold, yeah, that oh, they I put g- in the tank well, and. Would delay, like I guess if said. the
2: if the compressor's not right there, that's probably right. better, right? Yes. Yeah, it didn't have a uh, motor going mm-hmm. probably. Silent bubbles, Hollywood. Yes. You so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, we reach four drink, Amy on the be- on the beach. Um, I think it's. Cognac or something coming to keep there her warm. Is. Um, fanny pack out yes, of the fanny pack yeah. comes a little cognac. Mm-hmm. So one more tick mm-hmm. down, one more <laughs> step down that road. Um, the performances on this show are so great. I mean, all, these are tiny little moments, but they're so true. Even in you know, as early as season two, so true to these characters. Um, that was a lot of people in one hot tub. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> we did <laughs> it. Like you had to source. You probably had to scout a large enough hot tub for. I think there were seven of you at one point.
6: There were. Yeah, we and they got in
2: Mm -hmm. and stuff like that is not sexy. Uh, (laughs) I don't, I don't mean sexy, sexy. Like sometimes uh, I think people see like, Oh, you're eating, uh, eating a great meal in a scene. It's like, right for four hours. Like um, being in a hot tub, like I would guess is not fun. Like you're in and out of it multiple times. You're getting warm. You're getting cold. Probably like, it's not, it's not, like sitting in a hot tub on purpose for fun,
5: right? right. Yeah, and none of the benefits of a real hot tub, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, it's lukewarm or cool. They did a good job of keeping, yeah. yeah. pre- preventing it from being cold. Sure, but it, that only lasts so long. Yeah, and there's makeup coming off into the water, and you, like, yeah, hey, hey yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, and also <laughs> you're like in your
2: skivvy like everybody. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're. I mean, you're literally on a work retreat with people you actually work with in real life, sure. nearly naked. Yes. Um. Right. Yeah, I watched that and I was like. I bet that wasn't all the way fun.
4: <laughs> yeah, and as on, when you're the writer and you're just watching them on on uh,
2: screens, you're also like, "This is weird for me.
4: I'm yes. just watching them in a hot tub." These are all my coworkers. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Um, Hitchcock got a great line: uh, "Eyes up here, Peralta <laughs> Yeah, so funny. Whenever Hitchcock and Scully are like the PC voices of reason, it just comes off so weird. You know, like. <laughs> um, Holt pours more more cold water on the party. They're doing cigars. He talks about Dan Hammer, Dan Snake Eyes Hammer, his old partner, um, who loved cigars. You know, was buried with his middle <laughs> finger out so that he'd be flipping everybody off, but didn't get to have an open casket because <laughs> why?
4: The doctor had removed so much of his mouth, uh, tongue, <laughs> his and face, and in, in general, I think. And yeah, Andy's, yeah. you Is know throwing so the cigar face. down was hilarious. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it was. Very, I mean, I I hadn't known this at the time as much but there was a little there is a little bit of a mantra on our show which is that you want to see our characters having fun Mm -hmm. together and that it's not always fun to see them miserable and this ended up being an episode where it bucks the trend because it is so funny watching Holt ruin the party for everyone (laughs) I don't know where where it works maybe it's just them all being on the same page still and so they're not in too much conflict but like it is so fun to watch Holt ruin the party. And I think there was so much concern going, in writing the episode, being like, should we just limit how much he, you know, just happens in one beat and then they're already coming up with a scheme to have fun, and it just was in watching it, you're like, no, this is so funny. Every time. And he has no idea. Yeah, his right. unawareness and everyone else being miserable together. <laughs> to cure the problem,
2: hard. they devise an upstairs-downstairs solution. There'll be a real party, the the boss-free party downstairs, and uh, they'll take turns babysitting Holt, Holt at the boring party upstairs. Uh, we begin to meet pervert, Amy. Um, Hitchcock and Scully uh, state what their weird sunken casino idea is. Um, and then <laughs> this is one of those examples where I would guess that you got this script and we we're like, can't wait to say this. Um, it's not an idea. It's a scheme. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite lines. Yeah, oh my gosh. Funny. Right. So great. Upstairs, uh, Holt and some of the gang are listening to a, a recorder recording on a Bose stereo. <laughs> Holt mentions Yoram letagum Is that a real person? Yes. Are you serious? I'm
4: like 99% sure. We us- every time usually, we- do. We usually do a real person. And now I'm trying to remember. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's definitely a real person. I, I remember that. That's... We should look him up.
2: That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm going to set up a clip and we're going to listen to a clip. To set up the clip, the squad is in the middle of throwing a secret party away from Holt while at the beach house so they can relax without having their boss around. Things start to get complicated when Amy drinks too much, revealing six-drink Amy, and Scully and Hitchcock try to pitch Holt an investment opportunity for a sunken casino. Woo! First shift is done. How was it? I'm not going to lie,
5: it was pretty brutal.
2: But on the plus side, I now hate a whole new genre of music. All right, Boyle, Rosa, and Amy, you're up. Come on, get on it.
1: And under it. Bangarang.
8: Names, same names. Mm? You
1: don't want to be around Holt in your current state. Mm. Say hello to the most confident woman alive. Gah! Drink number five. You are a true
8: friend and a hot little piece. Goodbye, for drink Amy. Sloppy sicko.
5: His name is... Blair Underwood. The man I saw in the grocery store is Blair Underwood.
8: Hey, Ray. It's time.
5: For what, Detective Santiago?
4: You
8: to give me a promotion and a 40% raise. I've been carrying the squad for two years, and my back's getting tired.
2: Yeah, excuse me, Captain. Hey, Amy, can I talk to you for one second?
1: Uh, You just did, Burn. Ah,
2: so good. So listen, I don't think overconfident Amy is working out. Maybe you should go back downstairs. Mm, Maybe I should just have another drink.
4: Get ready, America. Here comes six.
5: Holes. Okay,
3: that's... Wait a minute. Why is Scully up here? Hey, Captain. How much does it cost to raise a sunken chip?
5: Answer, less than a casino mix in a year, hopefully. <laughs> what a funny riddle. Hey, Scully,
3: there's this sandwich in the other room I want to show you. Say no more? Oh, that was easy. What
2: the hell, guys? You can't just let Scully go wherever he wants. We lost track of who was where. Sorry. Guys, if we're going to pull this off, we need to focus. You want to play? Yeah, I want to play. It's quarters. What am I, a monster? Terry, tag me in. You're on whole party duty.
4: can't just let Scully go wherever he <laughs> where wants. wants. I remember. <laughs> that was such a funny throwaway. Just given. <laughs> he'll just roam around. He'll yeah. get us in trouble. <laughs>
2: Uh, That exchange about the sunken ship is, I mean, it's so concise. It's just (laughs) such a pure distillation of of great writing and great performance. They have done zero research on that subject. (laughs) Yes, Yes. They heard there's like a money-making thing underwater, and they're like, we should go get it.
4: That's all it is. (laughs) That's right. That's another piece that happened and had to happen in parts, but it still had to move together, right? Because there were so many people coming in and out, were covering and then you guys had to you had to walk up to pitch it and it was a lot of annoying pieces i remember um, didn't it didn't wouldn't uh speak to how perfect
2: it turned out the non-hold party continues uh we hear him say <laughs> in, a, in a funny succession we hear him say it seems to me all wheel drive is four wheel drive <laughs> we also hear him say i know they say it's not good to have a tv in the bedroom which is longest pause in television history. Why I don't. It's so painful.
6: I'll never forget the night we shot that. It was literally one of if not the one of the funniest moments of the entire series, certainly of the season, when we shot Holt droning on about, you know, Blair Underwood, the uh all wheel drive, uh the, what was the other the,
5: one? The recorder player. The
6: recorder yeah, music. Way from... And not to mention all of the alts that we did that I was we gonna make say, it. this feels like and an old party. Yeah, we sh- the same night that we also did the Hitchcock's Scully scene that we just uh, listened to. Mm-hmm. Literally, everyone on set broke every after every take. I mean, his performance was amazing. I'm sure. Uh, I mean, I was behind the couch with tears
4: coming <laughs> down my <laughs> eyes, right behind Holt. I mean. Uh, yeah it was it's it's very fun uh as a writer when you're not worried about getting things done in time when the cast is breaking at certain times Mm -hmm. and that was one of the ones where it was like there wasn't any there sometimes it can be frustrating because you have a lot to do i guess for everyone but it was very fun trying to get everyone to laugh with the different alts that andre was doing and i think andre was taking particular joy in trying to get people to laugh yes and he never breaks so it was like this combination of the camera
6: guys I mean, were losing it. The yeah. boom guy. I mean, anyone in the room there. It was. Yeah, you know it's
5: working when yeah. you see the camera guys. When you see the camera shaking. Yes. Shooting. Shooting. Yeah. yes. <laughs> I mean, well, we're going to just do it again, but that's fun to watch. That feels like success, right? Yeah. Right. And we don't yes. get
4: to do as many as we'd like, I think, or as much as you think of like just sitting in place, getting a ton of alts, just in terms of practical, like how long it would take and what the setup of the scene is, and so that's like one of the few times I remember being doing that and being very fun.
2: We meet six-drink Amy. She is so alone. (laughs) Like, it's so sad. That is not, that was not what Gina had in mind of the escalation of, (laughs) like, can't wait to see what this Sasquatch is going to be. Sasquatch is sad. (laughs) That's really, uh, really disappointing to Gina. Uh, Holt discovers that they are having a downstairs party without him, and... Uh, Jake reluctantly goes to talk to him. You you make it so much worse. Th- that could have happened in any scene upstairs in the house, in any setting in the house. You make it so much worse by putting it in the hot tub. Yeah. <laughs> it's so intimate yes. and weird, like a bubbleless <laughs> hot tub. It's so weird.
4: Yeah, I think that came out of this happens a lot, which is you have those act four scenes where people are needing to like say sorry or give someone a gift or maybe both. Mm -hmm. And you're like, how do we make this funny if they're just like kind of apologizing to each other? And so you're always searching for how do you, and that's why we're like, well, they should just do this in the hot tub. Clearly, that'll at least give us one weird
5: joke. Uh, Holt's, uh, I'm not a child. I don't don't need need a bubble bath.
6: bath. (laughs) And also it was a nice twit, Uh, a nice... Uh, twist Holt apologizing
2: yes. to Jake. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that disarmed Jake. Mm-hmm. He was like, "Oh, I yeah. like that. Uh, did not see that coming." Yeah, right. um, it should be a lesson for all the bosses out
4: there trying to hang out with the you know with the with their employees. Dan Gore. Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Let us out our hangouts. Yeah, he knows to apologize. <laughs>
2: It's hard to goof around uh, and make fun of the boss when the boss is present. And then Jake realizes, like, ooh, but maybe it's not impossible. So he pitches that rather than trying to elevate, Holt, uh, elevate everyone to Holt's level, that Holt should stoop down to theirs. Um, Holt immediately makes it happen by pressing the bubbles on, right? Mm-hmm. Like That's a sign that they're headed in the right direction. Then they go downstairs to play real Ray or fake Ray and it's a guessing game of whether the current boring sentence is something that Holt actually said or if it's fake. This feels like another alt party, right? Yeah.
4: We didn't have too many, but we definitely had more than we when we aired in there. And I remember actually it was more it was less about choosing the alts for on set and more in the writing of it being like what should these quotes be in writing so many of those? Um, and then deciding no matter what, it had to be ones that he'd said, because it w- you know, it's not ultimately going to be as fun if Jake just made them up, so it always had to be like two things that he actually said.
2: Neither is something that we've seen on camera before, probably, right? No. It's not canon of... I mean, it's canon now, but it's not something that we people could go, yes, he did, season
3: one. Yeah, I know. If you pull the cast, that uh, Beach House episode is one that uh, generally comes up that everyone really enjoyed that, because we were... Even though it was season two, it felt like we were all off somewhere together and getting to know each other even better. And and um, it was a, there's a lot of great memories with that one. I remember spending the night in Malibu. Some of the cast we stayed out there at some I don't know some funky little motel. I don't know what it was, <laughs> but we went to this nice restaurant by the beach. It was Andy and I, and I think Joe. And uh, Melissa, and Chelsea, and then her boyfriend at the time, Jordan Peele, and we had dinner together, and we, you know, just asked all kinds of questions about, you know, where you grew up, and you know, just about getting to know each other. It was really, a, I have a great, very, very fond memories of that that evening.
2: You had a real detectives
3: only getaway, yeah. yeah, it really was.
4: Yeah. You don't, yeah, you don't. I mean. From my perspective of it, too, I was coming in season two. So you have this feeling like, oh, everyone's already fully bonded and you're the new person. And then you realize like that is something that takes time on its own. And I mean, I could tell everyone was really having a good time hanging out with each other on those days when on plenty of other shows that can be thought of as like a long day. We're in jail. Far
2: away. And, not you know, it just it's it was a it was cool. Uh, In the next couple of moments, uh, let's talk about some of your favorite Hitchcock and Scully things, whether it's uh, the specific episodes uh, that I mentioned earlier or anything. We talked about Captain Peralto, where Scully speaks fluent French when they go to Quebec to clear Jake's father of a drug charge. Uh, Scully gets forgotten at the airport. Uh, I remember fighting very hard to leave you at
4: the airport. (laughs) Uh, That was the detail that was... fought over which is weird because it's just a joke but i remember being like no we have it's so funny
2: (laughs) what do you remember about that
3: um well i remember the table read i was sitting on a bench outside uh looking over my lines and i had my ipad with me and i was learning the french Mm -hmm. uh, before the table read because i don't speak (laughs) (laughs) you
2: do really sing
3: but i do sing yes yes and um and I remember Dan Gore walked by me on the way way to the table read. He goes, are are, are you okay with the French? Do you know what you're – I go, yeah, I do. I, I, I got it right here. He goes, okay, good, good, good. And, and then I think he proceeded to then recite all the lines to me just to make sure, but it was very helpful. He not speaks French?
4: The- not in no way for him to show off that he speaks French. Definitely just to be helpful. Explains <laughs> it Dan Gore today. You were taking some big. I complimented bolt. him enough early on. I got to bring him back down. <laughs> but he
3: he just wanted to make sure when I went to the table read, I was I was comfortable and set to go. So it was it was great. Uh, but yeah, I was I was ready.
2: In Sabotage, uh, Boyle must work with Hitchcock and Scully on a case. Uh, at first, they don't take it seriously, but later prove to be competent by solving it and obtain a written confession. They ask Boyle not to. T- <laughs> they ask Boyle not to tell anyone. <laughs> it was, and Hitchcock. Uh, it throws a rock through a window. Do you remember that one?
5: Yes. I, I, I remember throwing the rock through the window because there was some concern oh. about my ability to do so Ooh. because it's one-take deal, you know, and mm-hmm. if you don't hit it just right. Um, but I, I stepped up. Yeah.
2: You're a ball player. All I, I was. Yeah. yeah. I can
5: still I can still sling it. You things. keep threatening to come out I to the know. Brooklyn Nine-Nine
2: to, yeah. to DH to, yeah, to come right. and bat for us. Um, I'm going to hold her to it.
3: I remember we really enjoyed doing that episode yes, and actually did. solving something and then telling everybody, to, you know, or telling yeah. Boyle, don't tell anybody. Right. It was <laughs> so <laughs> it's funny. It's like that was
5: the first reveal that these guys actually could be detectives and more once. -hmm. Pretty good detectives.
2: I'm having a memory of uh, it was a Thanksgiving episode where I bring a pie, or somebody has a pie, and you're like, "That's not," or they're like, "That's (laughs) it's heavy. It's not donuts." Like
3: you (laughs) saw the box,
2: and just by the way it was being carried, you're like, "That's a pie." (laughs) No, and then the
3: pie is stolen. That's right, and we help solve it, and we actually find it, (laughs) find the pie. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. don't everybody thinks that we ate it. Yeah, right. (laughs) Don't tell anyone. (laughs) I remember
4: in the sabotage episode one of the throwaway lines that was very funny to me was you confidently referring to yourself as two red-hot dicks. (laughs) As if it was like... (laughs) uh, And just like...
2: Dirk, Joel, Tony, and David, this was fun. Thanks for talking with us. Stay tuned for more Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the
5: podcast, after this attention listeners this is andre Brower,
1: and this is stephanie beatrice we
5: are your official brooklyn 99 the podcast intermission and or mid-show bumper announcers and or palette cleansers and or hosts
1: that's our official title
5: it is we are here to inform you that the podcast is not yet over that's
1: right we're only halfway through
5: we have another panel coming up next with our host, Mark Evan Jackson, and other great guests. Now let's get back to the show from the official Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the podcast intermission and or Mitchell bumper. Enjoy the rest of the show.
1: Nine-Nine.
2: Welcome back to Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the podcast. I'm Mark Evan Jackson. I play Kevin. For our next thematic segment, we'll be talking about relationships on the show and how they are created and portrayed. We examine the development of friendships, romances, and bromances, including Jake and Amy, and Rosa's coming out storyline. With us today is one of the writer-producers of the show, Laura McCreary, writer and executive producer, Luke Deltretici, and Stephanie Beatrice, who plays Rosa Diaz. Stephanie, Luke, and Laura. Nine, 99! Nine, nine, nine. nine, 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 nine. That, Does that get shouted at you That's at airports cute. and stuff?
1: Um, No, it doesn't. Really? I don't get recognized. Is that true? Yeah.
2: People are very surprised that how different you are than your character. They are. They're c- yeah.
1: continually but you surprised. You look the
2: same? Yeah,
0: it's visually. I
1: think I do. I mean 100%. But I I think the makeup does something and I think the way that I hold my face does something and yeah yeah so then and especially if someone's actually already talking to me then they they're really confused because um, it's the wrong voice coming out of their face
2: we were at the uh nbc emmys party a month ago or so mm-hmm. and um someone had, wow someone had just quick brag <laughs> uh someone had just like met you and came up to me and was like she is so different from her character like
1: i mean it, it's endlessly flattering yeah. tell me more what a good actress i am <laughs> mm-hmm. it's really nice but i mean it's great it doesn't yeah i don't get yelled at nine nine I'm, terry i'm sure can't walk down the street without it happening
2: i'm sure i mean there's only one terry cruz right? right like he uh thank,
1: thank god, god. <laughs> jesus
2: um a great man once said love is like oatmeal it sustains you That great man is my pretend husband, Captain Raymond Holt. Um, Talk a little bit about, uh, you know, you come in, uh, the pilot for Brooklyn Nine-Nine's been made. Um, Romance in a show like this, I think, is necessary because these characters, as it turns out, are human, right? And romance, love is a part of human life. Yeah, I mean, I think so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it took way too long. <laughs> I, uh, you consider whether so it was. Long. Long. Hey, yeah, I mean, you, you guys all it. agree with that? <laughs> is yeah, that, yeah, is definitely, that a thing we all definitely. feel? <laughs> am, I, I know, am I honest?
0: Um, no, I mean, I, I think so. I, I I think the interesting thing about it is that we started out trying to be like, we're not going to do any of that in the first half of the series first half of the season first season really and episodes or so
8: not even a directive in that way like as a as a staff we were more uh breaking the rosa charles stuff than the jake and amy stuff early on too Mm -hmm. because we were just like let's see let's try not to make it too much of a will they or won't they? you know that's always a great part of every show but uh it was definitely more about the cases and the people and getting to know all of them
0: yeah i mean i think the interesting thing about the romance stuff on this show has been When we introduced Jake and Amy, I think it was a little bit of a course correction for the character of Jake initially, which is that Jake had been in the first half of the season. There was a little bit of a like. Playboy ish? Yeah, I mean, I think we've we've course corrected in a lot of ways with Jake, but I think there was this tense of he's like, he's Andy and he's like a little bit immature and he's a little bit cocky. And we were also taking great pains (laughs) to make him good at his job. And even though he'd get like knocked down a peg by Holt a lot, it was still like. It was hard to feel like he was an underdog who was worth rooting for. And we sort of decided that, that that giving him uh you know, having him like Amy, who was we felt sort of a little bit better than him, and something that he had to like sort someone of. who what? he had to change, <laughs> you know, that he had to improve as a person to yeah. be like in a position to to, you know, like make that happen like humanized him. And in the same way I think a little bit the the Kevin relationship with Holt is another way that sort of was like you know, it's it's in there to give you a softer side of Holt to sort of like break. Holt is in the context with his employees, especially not always so like loving and soft. And it would give us a little bit of a glimpse into it, give, giving the audience and also giving the other characters a glimpse of Holt being and soft. Like Cheddar,
8: that much more than you. No offense. Honestly. Yeah, for
2: sure. Obviously, <laughs> that's that the dog. true that's the true love story of this <laughs> yeah. of this story. Rest in peace, Cheddar. Um, R.I.P. Cheddar
8: right. number three. Cheddar number three. R.I.P.
2: The um. <laughs> Jake was certainly more of a man child early on um and had that immaturity but was there uh I don't remember were there allusions to him dating a lot and- lol
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> you don't remember not really he was oh, there would be like these flashbacks where there'd be like a a babe some kind of babe that he was flirting with and kind of failing Sup? miserably a lot of yeah a lot of <laughs> yeah
0: it was really you had sex with the with uh, the metal uh, medical examiner. Medical yeah, that, examiner. Was, uh, that was it's, when we knew it's really, oh, really hard to hard, hard to start a show, guys. You make some mistakes. <laughs> hey man, you
8: know? yeah.
1: Anyways, so do was... people in their early thirties. Yeah. <laughs> a lot yeah. of us make a lot of mistakes. I think <laughs> that, that was the great thing about seeing Jake kind of struggle his way through that.
2: What mistakes have you made? You
1: know, <laughs> I've never uh, bought someone to dinner out of a vending machine, which Jake does in an episode. That's true. But I've come pretty close, I think.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, early on, there was, uh, even as early as the pilot, there was some will-they-won't-they they, uh, Rosa and Charles. Charles was very interested. I can remember some dialogue about trying to find the perfect movie or a concert or you know I think even in the audition dialogue there was like Mm -hmm. uh, asking you to go to a Wilco concert or something it was a very specific yeah Um, at some point that will become tiresome right and it is a workplace comedy like um, when did you decide that that was something that you wanted to resolve in a way different than you know them finding one another
0: I mean I think that's like one of the again one of the things that we sort of like not only the characters grow and change, but we as a like show have grown and changed and that was a thing that was we were it's in the pilot and we were sort of pursuing it and we were in the early seasons of a show early episodes of a show you tend to sort of just keep repeating things in the pilot because you don't have you don't know these people fully as characters and so you fall back on that stuff and then at some point I think we sort of realized that this thing that felt like a uh, like a, a fun comedy game of Charles. Contin- like, you know, Charles is like a grinder and he never <laughs> takes no for an answer. And then at some point it became clear to us that it was like, felt pretty inappropriate in a workplace setting or in any setting for him to be like, not taking no in a romantic context to keep pushing this woman after she had made it clear that she wasn't interesting, wasn't like a, you know, to some degree it's, it's uh, it was a blind spot for the staff. To some degree it was a societal blind spot that sure. sort of, you know, I think that was changing at the time, but it became clear to us that like it's not charming to have Charles like continue <laughs> to like continue to 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 not take no for an answer that it it was it was creepy and inappropriate, and mm-hmm. so I think we by the middle of the first season, we sort yeah. of tried to just put it to bed and then pretend that we hadn't made that mistake
8: and I think it came with the similar with the shift in Jake. We were pushing Charles also to a very like comedic place, but not the not as alpha as someone that Rosa might have a, have a ever feel this attraction back towards. So we knew we we were, it was a good steer, you know, uh, and then we came up with the, obviously when we came up with the Gina thing, it was like, okay, he's going to be comedy, (laughs) comedy (laughs) relationships, not heart relationships.
2: Um, But they remained friends. I mean, they, that seemed like an amicable non-breakup, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, when you think about the growth of those two characters on their relationship as friends, really. When Charles was able to, as Luke said, like, put it to to bed, (laughs) LOL, not Rosa. Um, (laughs) When he was able to get over his, you know, infatuation really was what it was. Mm -hmm. Um, And now I'm going to talk some actor talk. To me, when I would look at that, it was like, and how I justified it for myself as an actor because in the beginning I was way too scared to go to the writers and say any – I've never – I've had all these thoughts of like, this feels not right. But I was way too scared because I didn't know if I was going to, you know, have this job for much longer. And I also just didn't know my way around a set at all. sure. I wouldn't. Yeah. Um, but as an actor, how I justified the journey to myself, especially over the first two seasons, was like – That it's not so much that, yes, this woman is clearly in charge of her identity, her space, her sexuality, but it's like there's something about that to him that's fascinating and he's fascinated by it and he's drawn like a moth to a flame because he is so unlike that in his own life. You know, he has no way to get at what Rosa just sort of floats through life doing. Only later do we find out that, like, it's really mostly just armor that she's put on herself, right? Mm-hmm. But that's also the other part of their journey, which is he's the first person that she says openly, like, this is who I am. I'm bisexual to him. And I think that that was such a great thing, sort of ride to go on that the, mm-hmm. the, really the writers and Dan took us on because, like, to have that be those two people from – For for that to be what happened on the 99th episode as opposed to, like, where we started was really special, I thought, and so smart and well thought out.
2: It also serves to, I think, point out their closeness, you know.
1: Yeah.
2: uh, Boilover hears a woman's voice on your phone say, babe, and Mm -hmm. um, you're – you know, I mean, it's not an easy conversation, I guess, but it's – it's somehow easier with you being able to say this to a fr- friend you friend. legitimately care about. Yeah. Yeah.
8: Really care about. Yeah. That's and, fascinating. And a mutual respect. I think that's what's so, that universe, the whole Dan Gore and Mike Sure. like they're one thing they have huge talents in is like feeling from their hearts that these people do respect. Respect and, each other. Yeah. Respect each other. Yeah. And, enjoy being with each other. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. I want to talk about that a little bit more, but first let's talk about uh, some of the, some of the ancillary relationships. Uh, Charles Boyle has had a lot of relationships (laughs) for as much of a non-alpha or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like he's an interesting figure. Um, Eleanor Horstswell, uh, a a last name I did not know until I found it on the. No, you you could (laughs) tell me you made that up. I I, I don't remember it it ever being said. Uh, Played by Catherine Han, correct? Terrific in that one episode. Um, Brilliant. What's that? Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gina Linetti is something I want to come back to. Vivian Ludley was played by Mary Lou Henner. That yeah. was a that had a, a bit of an arc to it. That had some life to it, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: that was a that was, but mm-hmm. that was she was she was terrific, and it was fun, and it gave you know I think that was another. It's nice to see those episodes where Charles is really, like, gets to be a little sad or a little vulnerable.
2: It was fun to realize in the rewatching the party uh, just a couple of weeks ago that. um, uh Vivian was a, a colleague, is a colleague of yeah. Kevin and it's a little bit they hook out, they you know make out in the closet <laughs> with shiso <chisel laughs> leaves or something. Yeah. I mean it's that's scandalous. that uh,
8: went down at that party. Oh.
7: party.
2: Genevieve Mirren Carter, played by Marilyn Marilyn Rice Cub. Um I mean so good, right?
0: Yeah.
2: Um a lot of these seem to be sort of five episode arcs or appearances or that sort of thing. Is that right?
0: Yeah. She I
8: mean, seems like she was longer, right? She's there's, still around yeah, she's in the mm-hmm. world, but
2: she's, you know, I, I think a
0: there's a blessing and a curse of being like a, a well-regarded show. Mm-hmm. And the, the the blessing is that, you know, it's people like the show and a lot of people from the cast to the writers have relationships with their actors and we're able to get this incredible stable of guest stars. And they are like we've had such incredible people on the show always and, and we're always able to find talented people. But then the problem with casting talented people is then – they always are working constantly and always busy, and yeah. so it's it's a huge struggle for us to keep people in our world. You know, because they're, the actors are always like they're not, most good working actors. You know, aren't always available to, to like do a three episode arc, one season, and then then just pick up the phone a year later and be like, come in for two. And there's right. there's been like I don't know, Gina Rodriguez jumps to mind as a mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know as like someone who we loved and who loved the show and we wanted to do a thing with, and then we got one episode, and then we were like, oh, she has her own television show and a Blossoming movie career, and yes, you know, and that's happened a lot. I think with Mary Lynn, there's times she's had, uh, there's times we've thought about her, and she's been a regular on another show. And-
2: if that's why you haven't shot the episode as promised in the Boyle Linetti wedding of Colt and Kevin renewing their vows, um, <laughs> I'm around. <laughs>
7: Sounds like you're shooting this
2: Babysitters Club thing though, so that, that's wrapped. I'm done. There. <laughs> it's so funny to think back and realize that a relationship happened between Charles Boyle and Gina Linetti. Like I that's know. a little bit crazy. I mean, <laughs> it was a lot crazy. It's a lot crazy. It was crazy, a lot right? of fun. Yeah. yeah. Uh what was talked about? Where did that come from? it's unlikely, right?
8: God, I, I what was the episode where it was outed in front of everybody? I feel like we would be building that's, to that. You for a wrote long that. Time. That's the oh, mole. That's why I remember it. The mole. Ooh, that's right. Yeah, you know, probably,
0: I remember yeah. spending a month breaking that. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah. the yeah, that was yes. But that, I feel like was. it was
8: a long talk about like how long is it gonna be secret and when is it gonna be revealed to the rest of the staff, the rest of the precinct.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think that's an interesting one too because you're like we're always trying to balance being true to the characters and having them be feel like real people and also where comedy and sometimes you do things that are funny and that is one thing where like we think it's funny you know and it's sort of it's sort of like <laughs> so you work backwards which is we thought the two of them would be funny together <laughs> because it it seems we liked the idea of giving like putting Gina in this relationship where she was didn't like that she was in the relationship and yet, like, wasn't also like couldn't extricate herself Mm -hmm. from it because something was drawing her to it. And we liked that. And then you sort of like, and it seemed funny, the two of them and their dynamic and Charles, like, their relation, their approaches to relationships seemed so different. And we wanted to do that. And then you sort of work backwards from the characters to like work backwards from that, the thing we've created to be like, why would the characters be doing this? (laughs) you know, which is a thing you can also do earlier in a show where you're like, you can make a choice for a character and then say, okay, well, this is part of what they do. And in s- six or seven seasons with these with these people, it's harder to make big choices without being like, this just doesn't feel like the person mm-hmm. we've established. Mm-hmm. And 22 episodes in or whatever that was, it right. could be because that was the a end of the first looser. season. You can be a little more like, okay, maybe this is, that you know, there's. It. then you start being like, what is it about Gina that that allowed her to get into this situation or,
2: you know. And then you decided that that wasn't weird enough, so you had her mother marry his <laughs> yeah, dad. They had to yeah, become that brother and sister. <laughs> so good. And you were about to storm the writers' room and be like, "This wouldn't happen." No,
1: I was like fully in support of it all. Oh, those scenes were just brilliant. The two of them paired together, and Chelsea just braiding Joe with comedy mm-hmm. brilliant, yeah, brilliant, relentless. relentless.
2: Yeah. Um. I mean, there's so much to talk about. Uh, there is a Boyle Peralta bromance, right? There's, um, oh yeah. There's a there's a platonic uh, love affair that happens there. Um, there's Terry and yogurt, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the great Tom romance Lechana. of the show. Mm-hmm.
8: We were especially early on. We were very aware of um, they had to be not just like network good at their jobs, but they were police officers holding up the law and yeah. it's a dice. So they had to be good at their jobs, which way was it was constraining in terms of story breaking. Like you can't have a lot of conflict. Jake couldn't mess up. And so a way he could mess up is how he treated his best friend, Charles. And so that led to a lot of really great stories between them about their friendship, just most, and partly because we couldn't have a lot of stakes early on anyway in the policing.
2: Mm -hmm. It just occurred to me that it's, um, it's sort of that cartoon like bulldog and Chihuahua kind of relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Like uh, Charles loves Jake. Like, he loves, loves that him. guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's very interesting to realize that the one who seems like perhaps the most emotionally unavailable, the least likely to, to put themselves out there, is Rosa Diaz. Rosa Diaz has had a lot of relationships in she the art. She has. Arc. Yeah.
1: She's had, she's had a few. Yeah. Yeah.
2: She's got a real life. She's living her best life.
1: I mean, you know, she's trying. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she's living it necessarily, <laughs> but she's definitely trying.
2: Um. Talk about Adrian Pimento, played by Jason Manzucas. I love Jason He's I mean, he's...
1: He's a loose cannon. <laughs> he's a loose cannon, yeah. and that it makes it so fun to act with with a loose cannon. It's also, like, you can't be a loose cannon because two loose cannons, it's like there's just no room. The ship's gone. Yeah, it's gone. It's gone. gone. It's yeah. going to blow it up That's from the, the inside out. Yeah. Um, but he did t- teach me a lot about relaxing in a scene and like wow. riffing. Yeah. Because I think I, for a long time I was really scared to riff. And mm-hmm. then Jason came and I was like, this motherfucker is riffing all the time. Yeah. And he's guest starring. I am on this show. <laughs> I bet if I do that I won't get in trouble. So it was he's really fun. He's really fun. And like just easy to play those fun scenes where we're making out with each other. Mm-hmm. Fun. Easy. Um you know just To make sure that the audience that's listening to this, many of whom may be teenagers, are Mm -hmm. listening, Jason is like a skilled improviser. Like that's a crafted. He's not just, you know, pulling stuff from thin air. I mean, he's like, I mean, he is, but it's because he's developed a skill over the course of his lifetime, Mm -hmm. and and to be able to watch him use it is pretty. Awesome.
2: His brain works on a different. It's level. so
1: cool, but yeah. it, he's trained it that way. You know, it's not like I mean, like I'm sure he has some pre. You know, it's probably in his DNA, but he's trained it. Yeah. He's like a little. He's like a a. I don't. What do they call like um Savannah.
7: those fancy horses?
1: Problem. You know those oh, yeah. fancy horses. <laughs> You know what I'm talking
8: about? The dressage,
1: yeah, the, dressage. the He's like a thoroughbred
8: yeah. dressage horse, but like kind of crazy. Yeah, sometimes he leaps. And yeah, stands. yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Shit. I
2: thought he was going to dance. <laughs> uh, scandalously, Rosa dates Holt's nephew at one point. Yeah, that's right. Um, and there's a sleepover. Was you... that
1: the first relationship that we see Rosa have? That's
0: I think so. like A little yeah. more pu- public.
2: Yeah, I think that is yeah. uh, played by Nick Cannon. Uh, mm-hmm. You dated Marcus uh, Holtz and Kevin's nephew uh we shot some fun stuff where you one morning we were having breakfast and yep. you inched down our stairs
3: you down the pushed. stairs yeah yeah,
2: yeah. which sure. kevin loved
3: by I the bet. way like yeah. that was
0: I bet. that was a hot goss that was delicious that was the ultimate of one of those relationships that we were interested in writing only for what it revealed about rosa mm-hmm. you know it's it's like, the real interest in writing Marcus was that it got us a really great conversation yeah. between Rosa and Holt, yeah. mm. you know? And I feel bad yeah. for, for, like, the guest stars who have to, like, do that where you're like, you're, <laughs> you're there, but, like... Thanks I'm, so
1: much. Yeah, Thank you, know, you sure. got here. Yeah, and, like, yeah, what's yeah, really yeah. nice yeah. are that, like, great yeah. conversations
0: with Andre and Stephanie, I think. Yeah, you know? that
1: scene that scene that you guys wrote with the two of them in Holt's office where Rosa's like, I don't know if I know how to love people, and maybe it's just not a thing that I can do... And she starts crying, and then Holt's crying. It Was like so fun yeah. to shoot. It was such a fun scene to shoot. Those two emotionally inept people. Yeah.
8: And you two are like being on set with you two is crazy because we're like writing like big butt jokes, and you're walking. You're like my butt's <laughs> in the door now. My butt's in the door, and then <laughs> cut, and then you guys are like. So the performance I saw of Henry the Fourth, and and I'm like these two.
7: Like, what are we doing? Like
8: give them more of this. Couple of snobs, time. man. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> oh, genius. Oh man.
2: Different than their characters, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Andre is exactly the same yeah. character. Andre is <laughs> pretty similar. Um, we talked touched on it earlier, but I want to talk about it more. Uh, Cameron Esposito came and mm-hmm. played Jocelyn, a love yes. interest of Rosa. Uh, talk about uh, Rosa coming out as bisexual. What was the origin of that, and and uh, the care that you all took together to uh, to handle that as it should be?
1: You know, I think the origin of it was that I am openly publicly out as bi. Um, and I think I probably a little knowingly and unknowingly from the beginning played Rosa as like in my mind someone who was queer, who was like maybe pan, maybe bi, maybe maybe going to figure something out later. I wasn't totally sure. Um, but there were little clues that like were there from the beginning. Like sure. there's it's like it's talking about Tanya Harding being hot or something. There's a, a little – and so, of course, my my queer mind was like, I'm just going to build on that and, like, plant a whole garden in my mind. Um, but Dan Gore uh, called me, I think, on the hiatus and asked, you know, the writers have kind of been throwing around this idea, like, would you be comfortable in exploring yeah. Rosa being – Queer, maybe being bi like you. And I was like, absolutely, I would love that. If that, I I remember sitting in my car, like, I think I was parked at like the mall or something, sweating, dripping (laughs) sweat, because I was like, this is happening. And then it was a a really lovely process because they allowed me to have a a very loud voice in it. I mean, I didn't write the episode or anything, but I was able to sort of say the things that I thought were important, which were, I think it's important to use the word bisexual. It doesn't Mm -hmm. get used. On television, rarely does it get used. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really important to sort of show – there. there's language in the, in the script that I thought was really mm-hmm. vital that were things that I have heard that other queer people have echoed to me that is – that doesn't exist. Your identity isn't real. That's not a thing. Right. You, you'll figure it out one day. Eventually, especially for bi and pan people, you could – well, you could choose – you know, the opposite sex, so – the opposite sex, quote, unquote. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it'll be fine, you know.
2: Um, Stuff that a lot of people hear from their parents. Or yeah. From their-
1: and, and like, uh, sometimes the gay community, too. It's, like, a bi erasure is a real thing. It's very real. It's, like um, – because you are really most of the time defined by the partner that you're standing next to. So to be out and loud about being bi is kind of a a weird, tricky thing mm-hmm. for people. It still is. Um But they were really – the whole writing staff was really awesome about it. Um, Yeah.
2: It's great. It was amazing. um, I think that shows like this will, with hope, make it easier for people to acknowledge who they are, uh, you know, having seen it in the mainstream. Uh, What was it like in the writer's room? What uh, what conversations were had?
0: You know, I think at that point we didn't want the character of Rosa to stagnate. And the first things you sort of ask yourself are not what are, like, new – Things that we can just create out of thin air, but what are things that we know that you know, that, as the char- that we can find from Stephanie that that like would allow us to really ground the character, and that's again where like maybe that's good writing, or it might just be pure laziness because we're like, well, we could come up with something, or we could just like steal from someone's real life. Um, <laughs> Yay for we, laziness! I then. think we wanted to like you know find a way to really ground the character in something that that Stephanie could relate to because I think a lot of our best performances come when we're asking the actors to do things that are. Close to something that they actually feel and thinks. You know, it's like you just wanted to do something that would feel authentic and Mm -hmm. and real. And I think that's why we wanted to get Stephanie's input as much as possible on it because you you you're never good. We're you know a bunch of us are in a room with a lot of different experiences. We'll never write something like as authentic as someone who's like lived this exact story. That's
1: what they. That's that phrase that's getting thrown around a lot. Like no stories about us without us, Mm -hmm. right? And and I think that that's true i think it would have been it, it could have been a huge misstep if they were like great we're going to write this bye see you later right. but this isn't a show that does that this doesn't this, this head writer doesn't had, do that you had input yeah, yeah. It was and it was important to them that they had that input
8: and i think this show has always done a good job of, of letting everybody exist in the world as who they are without it having to be a hammer on anyone's head like with Holton raymond over the years you know now with it it just does a good job of not having to not, you know not having to yeah hammer in the head again I don't know how else to say sure. it sure
2: I mean the just, most interesting thing really about
8: nice levels of realness with mm-hmm. everything
2: and I you know the most interesting characteristic of of uh, Santiago and Diaz are not that they're Latina the yeah. most interesting characteristic way. about Holt is not that he's you know uh, gay or black or you know like they're, these are really complex and vivid characters that have been drawn
0: yeah it's an interesting dilemma for us in the writers room because I think I think we all felt from the start of the show that the thing that was sort of interesting and important about the show was that it was very diverse but we were not trying to like tell stories about diversity. It was just presented as a reality of the world that Holt was gay but it was didn't define him and we didn't like very few of the stories were about him were about him being like gay or a gay African American man of a certain generation. We just sort of, he had a totally different comedy game and that was just a fact of life and sometimes he talked about his husband the way a character would sometimes talk about their wife but there weren't stories and we always really liked that but also as we've broken out later seasons and done more issue centric episodes where we've Mm -hmm. called, you know, we've called more attention to some of these things. We also, you know, people respond to those really well too, you know, and sometimes you're like, Sometimes the really subtle thing of being like, we're being quietly, you know, quietly important by right. like being diverse but never talking about it. You're like, is that actually great? Or do you right, want to call it? We actually need to point out. Right. You
1: know, it sometimes. and so it's like,
0: and then and then sometimes you do a couple of big episodes. We did the one where Terry was racially profiled. We did the episode game night where where Rosa came out. And it's like you get a lot of attention for those. I think those are really good episodes we're all really proud of. And then there's a temptation to be like, we should do more of those. Those are like <laughs> the people seem right. to really like them. And you are like have to remind yourself, like, no, no, it's Part of it is also just that these people. That's not the only thing we're doing, and we're not trying to make a.
2: It's still a half-hour comedy, right? Like, yeah, it's and not, what, it's not meant to be after-school special, but it's meant to be socially relevant and meaningful.
0: Yeah, and there's 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 value in educating people, but there's also value in just normalizing things for people mm-hmm. without like having to call any attention to it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's not a. It's not a, a, a an unhappy tension, but it's an
2: interesting yeah. tension in the it's writer's nice room. Mix. Do you acknowledge that the only misstep that maybe you've made throughout the seven seasons of uh, this show is uh, depicting Holt having had previous relationships? I'm mentioning uh, specifically Frederick, played by Nick Offerman, and that that we never need to see that again? (laughs) Um,
8: That duck will come back.
2: Yeah, I mean,
0: it did give us, yeah, Holt pushing that duck off the bridge, which is one of my favorite moments in the show. Um, I'm sorry. So that's a yes? I mean, but this is like, it provides depth for Kevin and Raymond. (laughs) I mean, if it was all... Like, sunshine and happiness, it wouldn't, you would have nothing to, you'd have nothing to play.
8: You need the, you you can't be all pepper. You got a pepper in the pepper. Is that
0: Mm -hmm. the only relationship we've mentioned? I feel like this year we've talked about another one, but now I don't remember it.
2: Yeah, I think it's the only woman we've seen. We're I could be wrong. I, I won't. We certainly have said I, that I you've been together. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we've said you've been together for a long time and that he's very faithful. Um, Terry Jeffords has a loving relationship with Sharon, played by Marin Dungy. Yes. Um, they have a stable and and loving home and a couple of daughters. There's That's another brand of romance, right? It is. I mean, there's,
0: you know, again, it, you know, it's, it's a hard thing because you're like, yeah, we see Terry as being like, Terry Cruz himself, like a, a real like strong family man with a great relationship with his, you know, wife and daughters. And sometimes you're like, you know, I think on a family show where you can like go into the minutia of like a fight between the husband and wife about like putting the laundry away or whatever. We don't have that opportunity because we're a workplace show, and so it's mostly. And there's sometimes there's like a, again, just a desperation to find story where we're like, should we, should Terry and Sharon have. Problems? It would be. Would it be funny to see Terry dating? And they're like, No, it's okay. It's just like you know, it's a. We we're not going to go down that road. We like that it's like a stable, loving relationship. And you know, I mean, I think a thing that happens to a lot of shows.
2: You know, it would be funny to see Terry dating.
0: It would be. It would be funny. You know, it but funny it, to if, see his would, heart get broken in those yeah, flashbacks. Yes. No, it yeah, would that be. That
8: was great. The Japan. There's a
0: lot of like story, but it's also like we. I, I you know, I mean, I think there's also people are invested in oh, in sure. Terry, and also you know, I mean, we we've talked a lot about in various, uh, you know, in various formats with this show that like a thing that's sort of been important to us from the beginning is, is is a show that presents like different and largely unseen sort of, I don't know, visions of masculinity that we're trying to model different like, different takes on what a classically masculine, like what is you know, what is a tough guy, you know, and I Charles think a, Boyle. Charles yeah. No, but I mean Charles He's Boyle inside. and Ray Holt and Terry are all are. are all like flips on classic yeah. you know, on classic tropes to some degree, and they're all cops and they're all strong and they're all like non-traditional in different ways. And one of the things about Terry is Terry who comes in and looks like a f-ing action star. I mm-hmm. can't I don't know if can I swear? He just did it. Okay. But, seems to work. but he looks like he is an action star, and I think yeah. one of the you things could hear that's him, I, interesting could, is that yeah. Terry is like not, the real Terry Cruz place. is so sensitive and oh, yeah. yes. loves his daughters and and just is like a, a big teddy bear. And, you know, the greatest.
8: I re- Remember, their relationship at home is so docile and perfect that it took us a while. Many episodes took us a while, but the vasectomy episode and a big writer's discussion is like, um, should he maybe talk to his wife about this <laughs> and not just Jake? <laughs> like, lo- okay, well, maybe there's a sharing. Like, well, but Jake's funnier. Like, hmm. but it's like they're so, like, the boat's going so smoothly at home. Sure. That it, yeah. It you know, doesn't always occur to us.
2: Uh, there are a couple of past relationships uh, that we see throughout. Uh, Jake Peralta dates Sophia, played by Eva Longoria. Oh, yeah. uh, Amy Santiago dates Teddy Wells, uh, hilariously played by Kyle Bornheimer, um, who can't stop proposing. Right?
8: <laughs> and loves Pilsner.
2: Yeah. <laughs> loves yeah, uh, the Pilsner. Oh. got
8: the thrills for the pills. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> I mean it's a very specific uh character trait. Um that again is a single joke that then
0: came to define <laughs> <Yeah>. Teddy. <laughs> a single <Generally>. throwaway line <laughs> and we're like, "Well, that's how he loves pills." <laughs> now. we've got Teddy down. <laughs> you want to like oh, a gosh. dry, real dummy, like dull dummy. We just like come alive writing those characters. Speaking and, <laughs> of Scully and
2: Hitchcock, that's wow. a bit of a romance that, too, right? That I mean, is a that is for sure. Yeah. That's a Laurel and Laurel, Laurel. Yeah, I mean, we... <laughs> so, so delighted
8: to see you guys finally do the flashback episode of oh, your no, backstory. Okay. My God. Oh, so oh the, with the wings or yeah. whatever? Like when things yes. were young, and
0: they, they were like, Yeah. Oh, I forgot. Yeah.
8: There's a,
0: there's a moment in one episode, I don't even remember, like I think Rose and Terry are yelling at them about stealing your ice cream or whatever, and they they mess up. Like Hitchcock's... Scully trying to hide something. I don't even remember the specifics. And he's trying to hide something and then he accidentally slips up because he's a dummy and, and gives away the game. And uh, Rose and Terry run off, and then Hitchcock just puts his arm around Scully, and then Scully's like, I'm sorry, buddy, I tried. And Hitchcock puts his arm around him, and he's like, I know, it's okay, I forgive oh, you, oh or whatever. Oh, my Give a little hug, and it was like, it makes me, it makes me laugh so much. They're like, me so they, you. we always try to be like, they're dummies, right. and there might be bad people. You know, um, (laughs) but they really do love each other.
8: And the two of them, like you'd look up, you'd be shooting some scene and you'd look look up and they'd be like on a couch in the background with like a spatula. Like they would always have these like prepared bits that they would, they had their own backstory for years before the writers even knew
1: about it.
0: That's so funny. Derek and Joel themselves are the the cutest. They are so They are, that is the great romance of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It's funny when
1: they snap at each other because sometimes they get like. Like a married couple. And I'm like, stop doing that. Don't do that this <laughs> The time. actors said. Yeah.
2: Dirk and Joel, not-, not Dirk and Joel, really? yeah. It's so
1: sweet. They're because like, they're
2: two of the kindest people of all time. It's
1: they And they're around each other constantly. So yeah. they have this like-
2: ban- They have
0: become best Bicker banter. Friends yeah, they're off, best friends. Off camera. Amazing. Yeah. They are like, whenever we- have I mean in the last couple of years we've gone to like Comic-Con and like they show up wearing the same shirt, <laughs> like not so coordinated. So they both <laughs> grew a goatee at the same time. It was like <sighs> Yeah, so uh, it's they really insane. That, that's delightful.
2: Adorable. The um the overarching romance on this show is the Jake and Amy story. Um talk a little bit about, you know, you you knew the seeds were planted in the pilot in season one. Um you have to time those things out, right? You have to make progress and then have hiccups like in real life and then did you always know that you were uh, heading for a wedding for instance no i mean you know
0: i I think it's there in the back of your mind that that's a will they want they that's clear in the pilot that that's where it's going to go you know an interesting thing about a tv show is you have certainly a network tv show you have all these stories that you want to tell and you think like oh that'll be fun and we'll pace it out but also right away you're like you don't know how many of them you're going to get to make. You know, we're picked up for, what, 13 to start. And you're like, these might be the only 13. And then you, and you're and you sort of like five episodes in, you might be like sitting on the bubble and they might be thinking about canceling you. And you're like, should we just be like fast forwarding to this romance stuff to try to get all of our good ideas into the first 13 so the audiences like it and we get picked up for more? And it takes, it's really hard to, to like slow play things on network TV because there's always this impulse to be like, we can't plan for something two years down the line because we don't know where if we'll have a show two years down the line um so you know i think we in an ideal world we might have like even held back a little uh you know a little longer because i think we part of the the will they or won't they the risk of it is that you end up defining both characters not as individuals but as a couple and that can be obviously an especially that's often in a lot of shows i think it can become damaging for the For the woman, for the female character, you know, can be like defined by this relationship in a, you know, historically, right? In a, in a,
2: she becomes the, the wife to the, you know, the more.
0: Yeah, in a dangerous way. So we, we tried to hold off as long as we could, but then at a certain point, the, you know, the demands of, of television like caught up with us and we started it. But I mean, you know, I, I think our, our thing that we've tried to commit to, I think has been from the beginning is pretty much from the moment we got them together, we, Said we want it to work between them and we don't want it to be a thing where they just to have a story, they break up and mm-hmm. it's awkward and they date other people and they're jealous. You know, we just like, we thought like an interesting thing would be to try to model a, a, model a like good, healthy relationship in which they could both grow within the relationship without, you know, having to fall back in ways that make you, you know, just, it's, it's you know, it's, it's hard because it's, it's, you get a lot more story and you get a lot more comedy out of conflict, easy comedy out of conflict, but it is, in the end of the day, you're like, that also makes people kind of like, and it can work. And friends did it did terrifically. And people still like are obsessed with that. And I understand why. But also, there's something nice about just seeing two people like be happy together and mm-hmm. say, like, that's a thing that can happen. Was uh, has
2: it ever come up that, uh, do you ever question uh, whether the title of your sex tape is still in the zeitgeist? <laughs> like, you know? Uh, question. Do you understand letter. my has question? That fallen out? Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I just mean, like, in a in a Time's Up Me Too world <laughs> in a workplace. <laughs> where- I mean, I have gone back, again, to things that are like, that,
0: that mistakes we've made. You know, you go back and you look at the, sort of the early episodes and you're like, oh yeah, it's like really, I mean, it was always sort of, you know, it, it always seemed like immature. It was never supposed to be like the funniest thing or super likable, but it was always like, you know, it's, it's a, a thing of like, yeah, he's a, he's, a, like a, he's a little bit of a scamp and it's fun. And now I'm like, yeah, maybe it's not a, you know. I'm not giving a note. I'm, no, I'm I, I 100%. You're 100% <laughs> giving a note right now. <laughs> no,
1: no, no. We can all Here's read what it. you're going to want to do. <laughs> so well,
0: you, we've had, you know, I will say, I think we've now cut it twice, which yeah. is bumming me out because I like it and I think it's it just for funny. time. But we had one where the <laughs> character of the Vulture, um, in last year's finale, <gasps> and it That's got caught, which was so funny, but it, the Vulture – Heard title of my sex tape and loved it so much, oh, no. and Jake was really horrified. No. And was like, I can't yeah. do this anymore. Which was our attempt to acknowledge that he, oh, the so the weird. vulture was like, this is the best joke, and I believe we wrote it again where Hitchcock similarly yeah. loved loved it, and Jake had rethinking rethink it. And it got cut both times for time, and it's okay. a, but I we will eventually maybe try to address it a little bit in that way.
1: I mean, that, that's a tricky thing uh, because it is a workplace comedy, sure. but these people are friends, right. so there is. There's some kind of boundaries that they've established between themselves before we've ever pressed play.
2: They they have the consent and and uh, I, understanding. I think
1: so. And there's not a power imbalance really between the, these people because yeah. they're all, other than Holt and and Terry, they're all detectives. So they're they're equals, they're right? Yeah. They're peers and equals and they're friends. So among friends, there can be boundaries established about joking mm-hmm. about. Sex, I mean, and sure. it depends on who your friends are and what your boundaries are like, you know. Um, but I think that that's I, when I think about it, I think like, oh, that's a that's a boundary that was established before. That makes um,
2: sense. Season six comes to a close with Jake and Amy getting married. Um, the next logical step is to divorce them. What episode is that? <laughs> oh boy, um,
7: 704. Uh, <laughs> 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 I, yeah. <laughs>
0: I don't know. Can I tease? There is a divorce this season that we're shooting. Ooh. It's not a very important one. Okay. Um, the uh, I know that's how I was like. I It's like it seems like it's going to be some flashback yeah. to
8: like Scully's second divorce out of his fourth <laughs> marriage. Right? Um,
0: the uh, no, I mean I think we like Jake and Amy, and now I think it would be. You know, I I think the bigger. I don't think we have any any hope of like breaking them up. You know, of course I mean, I not. hope. No, I mean it's a thing you talk about because you think like there's only so many stories it's you evolution. can do about like you know about like a, a really great couple that's happy all the time, and there's only so many times you can have like little fights that they recover from, and there's always this this temptation in front of show that has had 150 episodes to like the just narrative drive to just turn it into a soap opera to have like. Mm. You know, somebody cheat on somebody, or you know, or somebody make a mistake that leads that just blows up the world. So you have new stories to tell is great, but also, you know, I mean, I think we feel a very, I think we feel a strong connection to the characters and don't want to like put them through that, and we feel a connection to the fans and don't want to put them through that. And yeah, uh,
2: 150 episodes—that's pretty amazing. Jeez, no. I believe that's, yeah. I, like a, I think
0: that's where we'll, and somewhere we're we're at right. We're at like around 140, 140 something now. Good heavens.
2: Laura McCreary, Luke Del Tredici, Stephanie Beatrice, your butts are the bomb. There will be no survivors.
1: Hope you all enjoyed that as much as we did. I'm so happy that we finally started getting into all these behind-the-scenes things, and there's more to come. Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the podcast, is hosted by Mark Evan Jackson. Produced by Grant Rudder. Edited and produced by Trey Booty. Written by Bo Rollins. With coordinating producer Beatrice Shaheen. See you next time! time. Nine nine!